irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to L.A. Talk Radio. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Hello there, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I want to welcome you to a most special episode today, and I just bid you well. I'm in New Orleans, where we just had Hurricane Zeta come through last night, take a lot of power out from the city, including at my home, but a friend nearby has electricity. I did not want to miss this episode. You will very soon see why that is the case. So I am delighted to be with you today. I am a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I invite you to follow me on social media at NOLA Therapy, N-O-L-A-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y. And On my website, nolatherapy.com, I have just released my first book having to do with healing our deepest core wounds and shifting those patterns by addressing the thoughts that we think that create the beliefs that we have, which start to unfold and become the life that we are living. And I want to help you change your patterns that are maladaptive or tripping you up. My book, The Chiron Effect, Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology, Empathy, and Self-Forgiveness is endorsed by His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama. It's available now on Amazon, barnesdenoble.com, and through my website, there is a link with all of those places at nolatherapy.com. I invite you to join my email list and just be connected. I really, it's my passion to connect with you and help you live a happier and healthier life. I do want to get right to my guest today. I am really honored, and I told the universe I am making this show happen. You were going to help me, and it has totally come to pass. Today, we are with Swami Mukundananda, and I will be calling him Swamiji during our time together today. Swamiji is a global spiritual leader. He's a yoga meditation, and Vedic wisdom thought leader. And as I've been listening to His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, each week on his Facebook Lives, His Holiness really stresses the importance of Vedic wisdom and how there is so much there in those teachings for us in the Western world to learn from and incorporate into our thoughts and belief systems. So that's really special to have Swamiji here with us to really highlight Um, you know, how we can use these ancient teachings in our lives since he is an expert on this topic. He is the best-selling author of over 14 books. Today, we are discussing the science of mind management. And Swamiji will be breaking down for us the science behind our thoughts. He's also founded JK Yoga. It's a complete system of yoga, incorporating body, mind, and soul. Swamiji teaches around the world. He happens to be in the United States right now, and he lectures internationally, including for Fortune 500 companies and at Ivy League universities. 
And I'm just really honored and delighted, Swamiji, that you took your time today to be with us. Welcome. Thank you, Lisa. I am delighted to be on your show. And I really appreciate such a sincere and such a dedicated welcome that you have offered. I'm all praise for the fact that despite a hurricane hitting New Orleans, your dedication to continue has ensured that we are here with all your listeners. And it shall be my privilege and honor to share anything of value with them. Thank you so much. You know, I, I really want to have you speak to us about your book, The Science of Mind Management. Is The title itself is sourced from the Bhagavad Gita. And as far as the science of mind management, is it Buddhi Yoga, Yoga of the Intellect? Uh, that is one aspect of it. Okay. Actually... Material science, as we know it, addresses the phenomena of the external world. However, the world within ourselves includes the mind and the intellect. So this world also conforms to certain scientific principles. And those principles are of paramount importance to our happiness. Because no matter what situation we are in, our happiness is dependent on the thoughts that we harbor. That is why the Western philosopher John, Mil John Milton had said that the mind is a place of its own and in itself can make heaven out of hell and hell out of heaven. So the Western world over centuries focused on the outside world, which led to tremendous development, scientific enhancement, and uh, the luxuries and comforts that we enjoy today. Whereas the Indian civilization for millennia focused on the inner world. Mm. And that is why these Vedic books of knowledge are a veritable treasure chest of wisdom when it comes to the science of mind management. And through this book, I have tried to bring out different aspects of this ancient and esoteric knowledge in the modern context so that people today can correlate to it and see how they can use this knowledge in their lives. Swamiji, I, I love that so much. And you're such, you're so artful at using storytelling, both in your book and on the videos on your YouTube channels to really take something abstract and make it concrete in our lives. And in your book, in the beginning, you talk about neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to remodel itself and creating new pathways in our brains that lead to new habits and making conscious choices. So I'm not sure where you want to go from here, but those were just some of the topics I thought of to, to bring up with you. Oh, yes. Neuroplasticity provides us such a tremendous scope 
to transform the mind as we wish. So if we utilize this potential, the mind can become our best friend. Mm. On the other hand, if we allow it to run astray, that same mind can become our worst enemy. And that is why the Bhagavad Gita says that the mind is your best associate but worst foe. So uplift yourself by the power of your mind. Do not degrade yourself. There is out here a connection between the mental thoughts and the physical structures. That's the mind-body connection. When we bring certain thoughts to our mind again and again, that etches out neural pathways, making those thoughts easier to come to us. So this is how the idea of habit kicks in. Mm. Now you talked about the stories that I utilize can I share a beautiful Please. story? To I was hoping you would today. Yes. There was a person who came and attended an inspiring talk of the Dalai Lama. And he thought, wow, I too must transform my life in accordance with this wonderful wisdom. So he made a resolve that next morning he would wake up at four in the morning and engage in his spiritual practice. So he set his alarm at night for 4 a.m. In the morning when the alarm rang, cring, he got up and said, who is disturbing me? He shut the alarm off and went off to sleep. The next time he woke up, it was 8 a.m. Now he felt remorse. He thought, what have I done? My laziness prevented me from living to my highest ideal. How unfortunate. Those thoughts of regret, he utilized them in such a manner that they lifted up his inside. They purified him from within. The, that night, again, he set his alarm for 4 a.m., and went off to sleep. Next morning when the alarm rang, cring, again he got up and with great irritation he shut it off, stop disturbing me. And he was again off to sleep. But at five minutes past four, somebody started banging on his door. Now what to do? He was forced to get up. He said, okay, okay, I'm coming. Stop banging. When he opened the door, there was a grotesque looking person there with horns on his head and a little pigtail behind his back, a trident in his hand and bloodshot red eyes. The man said, you had set your alarm for 4 a.m. It's 5 past 4. Wake up. He said, thank you. But who are you? And how did you come to know that I was supposed to wake up at 4? That man said, I am sin personified. Really, you look like that. But if you are sin personified, 
Why do you want me to wake up? Your interest should be that I carry on sleeping. He said, no. Yesterday morning when you didn't wake up, you regretted it so much. Those thoughts which you brought to yourself again and again, the consequence was that anger, etc., they all died from your heart. I am worried if again you don't wake up today, you will start regretting and I will also have no place in your heart. So this is the power of bringing proper thoughts to ourselves. The neuroplasticity kicks in and transforms our brain forever. On the other hand, if we misutilize this power, then we become subjected to addictions, to obsessive worries, etc. The potential is there on both sides. Swamiji, hearing you share this story and talk about the thoughts that we can feed or starve to support ourselves, I never had a doubt that the show was going to happen regardless of a hurricane. I just sought, I just asked for the solution to be aligned with the solution. And I felt your spirit with me and I felt guidance, you know, to make this happen. And the friend appeared with internet. And I had to walk here because my car is in the shop. And so, you know, I didn't feel thrown off by that at all. But I noticed walking here that just random kind of negative thoughts passing through my mind about other situations that I would like to go in a positive way. How can we work with, and, and I shared with you earlier, I meditate every day. I, I Just sometimes it, it takes me by shock and surprise when just these negative thoughts that I start to have emotion about and I have to really actively push against them. How might we help ourselves in this area? Because I know I'm not alone in, in having this experience. Absolutely, Lisa. You are definitely not alone. In fact, almost all of humanity has the same problem of uncontrolled thoughts. In fact, in the Bhagavad Gita, the listener he asks the speaker that my mind is so difficult to control, it seems more obstinate than the wind, more restless. And the speaker of the Bhagavad Gita says, you are undoubtedly right. The mind is difficult, but by practice, it can be brought into control. So it is when we find that the mind is difficult and it is not listening to us, we need to step back a little and see our identity as separate from the mind. Mm. The mistake we make is we see ourselves as the mind, just like we see ourselves as the body. Whereas all the books of wisdom and the great saintly personalities of the world, they informed us that we are not material beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual personalities having a material experience, which means our identity as the spirit or as the soul is distinct from the body and the mind. So when the mind plays mischief, 
you stand back and see okay my mind is creating these thoughts that is the nature of the mind i should not be disturbed about it mm. but i should put in the effort which will slowly 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 transform the mind in the direction where i want it for you even swabaji are you do you have to actively work to shift and transform your own thoughts in the way that you teach and speak and write about uh lisa it is a journey and i don't claim to have reached the goal in all humbleness i am a seeker on the spot just like you and everyone else at the same time sometimes when people ask me do you get negative thoughts and then i introspect that was the last time when i had a negative thought and i can see that it's been quite a few years so that is the consequence of repeated practice mm. which led to that kind of naturality where positive thinking where being solution oriented where counting our blessings has become mm. a second nature yes can you talk to us about the practices you share in your book the science of the mind so that we so that listeners can start utilizing some of what you offer oh i have tried to fill an ocean in that little pot <laughs> yes <laughs> but you nevertheless uh, since you have asked i will share one good practice awesome we people do not realize that 90% of our thoughts and our actions come from the subconscious we are aware of the negativities or positive aware of the subconscious aspect of our mind which is about 90% so often our attitudes are stemming from there and that is why somebody is naturally worrisome somebody is naturally optimistic now this subconscious is programmed by our conscious mind for example a little child let us say she got stuck in an elevator for 3 hours that was a terrible experience for the conscious mind but after a few weeks and months she forgot all about it and yet that experience got retained in the subconscious part of her consciousness and that is why whenever a situation of closed spaces arises she experiences a phobia called claustrophobia even she cannot understand because it is illogical why is this happening to her now the reason for it is the residual memory in a part of her mind the subconscious is so vast if you have ever tried to record your favorite tv serial you realize that by the end of the year you run out of memory 
Now imagine our subconscious mind is recorded all the way from birth till today. Not just the visuals and the audio, but our feelings at that time and so many other things. So this subconscious does not reasons out. If with our conscious mind we repeatedly think, I am allergic to mushrooms. Now the subconscious gets conditioned. The boss has told me I am allergic to mushrooms. And next time a mushroom is perceived in the environment, it pushes up the natural response. So if we wish this subconscious to work in our favor, we must be very careful about the messages we convey to it through the self-talk that we do. So there is the physical external talk we engage in, and then there is the talk that we do with ourselves. Somebody is repeatedly messaging, telling himself, I can never do it. It's so difficult. On the other hand, somebody else is saying, just like the way you said, that the universe is telling you the show will happen. Right? So this self-talk, we don't realize its impact goes all the way to our subconscious. If we can take hold of this little tool of positive affirmation and speak to ourselves in beneficial ways, we will slowly develop a subconscious that works for us, that stands for us, and that pushes us in the direction of faith, of hope, of positivity, and of progress. Swamiji, I have a note right in front of me to ask you to speak to us specifically about the power of our self-talk and use of affirmation. Because to me, those are two very powerful tools that I actively work with every day to affirm myself, to affirm others, even in my thoughts, to, to try to word it in the affirmative. And so can you share with us some more about this concept from your book? It is in the Science of Mind Management. Definitely. Sports personalities, they understand the importance of this because they are in an area of human performance where peak performance is important, where the difference of one-tenth of a second can make them lose the gold and end up with the bronze medal. So they realize that in order to get their body, their mind, their intellect in the most productive mode, they need to be speaking to it again and again and again. And that is why when these Olympic participants, they go for their event, they are speaking to themselves. I remember as a youth, I used to do this when I was in school or in college, and I had to come up before the class or before the school to speak something, and I had experienced the nervousness in the mind, where the mind is going on its own. And then intuitively, without realizing what I was doing, I would speak to myself, come on, don't be nervous. There's nothing to be nervous about. 
And I find that the mind has set itself. So the ancient uh, spiritual traditions around the world, they gave us something very powerful, utilizing self-talk, where they ask us like mantras a lot, our holy prayers to ourselves. And there is nothing better than that. Because when you speak something divine to yourself, your subconscious becomes divine. And the consequences, now either you keep on fighting with the darkness, no greed, no anger, no worry, or you just bypass it all. And when you start making your consciousness divine, we automatically rise above towards the light. So this technique of self-talk has been used since millennia in its different forms. And to add to this, we can also use the power of visualization. Mm. So would you like me to speak to you? Yes, I'd love, yes, please. So uh, Lisa, as the saying goes in English, we all heard it growing up as children that a picture is worth a thousand words. That is how our mind works. The Whenever we learned objects, a car, a bus, as first graders or kindergarten, we were shown a picture and we were told by the teacher, that is a car, say car, and we all repeated it. So our mind relates to pictures and images far more than mere words. And so many research studies have been done in this regard. I read about a research that was conducted in the Michigan State University, their emergency ward, where uh, patients, when they were discharged, they were divided into two categories, And without doing injustice to any category, researchers, when they would discharge patients in category one, they would give them written instructions and also explain those to them. In category two, they would be given visual instructions and also suitable explanations. After three weeks, the researchers phoned up those patients to find out what percentage of the instructions they remembered. And they discovered that in category one, they remembered only 6% of the instructions. Mm. But the second category that had received visuals, they remembered 43% of the instructions. So this is the power of visualization. Now, we people, when we make our New Year resolutions, we write it out so diligently, devotedly in our diary. But then we close the diary and a week (laughs) later, it's all forgotten about. I am told of this person who went to his gym on 3rd of January to find the whole parking lot was full and there were lines in front of every machine. He went up to the gym manager and said, what is this? The manager said, sir, these are the New Year resolution people. Don't worry, by 21st of January, the gym (laughs) will be empty again. 
<laughs> so why are those resolutions not effective? Because they are only in words. Now, instead, if we could visualize ourselves in that situation, doing the things we wish to be doing, and letting those visuals sink in, we would find far greater inspiration and deeper resolve to follow through. In the book, I have talked about two kinds of visualization. The first is process visualization. If you wish to master a process, you don't even have to physically practice it. You visualize in your mind yourself doing it. And studies have shown that the mere mental practice results in the neurons being fired in the same manner as physical practice does. So mental practice makes us better. And the second is outcome visualizing. Be doing well in an interview. You visualize yourself sitting there before the board, answering them with great ease and aplomb. And let that visual sink in. The consequence is it will help program your subconscious. Just like the self-talk does, mm. but even more effectively. So to, to engage in any physical or mental activity, we need to control thousands of bodily and mental processes. This is beyond the scope of our conscious mind. And when the subconscious steps in, we just become so much better in all that we do. So again, you just have to try it out to see how effective it is. Swamiji, I agree. And it's causing me to think how the powerful tool of meditation, when one is able to really settle into that place of, of calm inside, that's where I receive, that's how I received my book manuscript, in fact, was in meditation, hearing Chiron, and even when I've lost an object, I'll sit and meditate and I'm led by thought to go and find and be able to recover it. So the processes you're talking about with visualization are just so powerful because it's, it's accessing something bigger than us and, and beyond us. Absolutely, Lisa. I'm glad you have talked about it and so nice to hear you share your own experience that is the practice that I teach people. I tell them that, look, you say your prayers, you do your chantings, but when you utilize the power of visualization in your meditation. Mm -hmm. So when we go into that space of meditation, it's not just about emptying the mind. It is about utilizing the power of the mind and to tap into it Bring those visuals like your spiritual mentor or the personality that you connect with. Speak to them, serve them in the mind, meditate on their wonderful qualities. And you will find that meditation becomes a hundred times easier. Why? 
because the mind needs a basis to settle upon and if we tell the mind just stop thinking mm. the mind says it's so very difficult to me and if we give an attractive divine image to the mind to relate to it develops a basis for divine love so i in my tradition i call this roop dhyan meditation meditation upon divine images symbols and visuals is that how we can begin to work within divine consciousness as you talk about in the science of mind management that definitely helps because we charge up our consciousness so the consciousness is at a certain level and when we engage in such a practice it results in lifting our consciousness to towards the divine so during the period of our practice we experience we are connected with divinity because the consciousness is in that state but then when we come out of our meditation to do our daily duties at that time there is wear and tear because we are engaged in mundane works and we have all mundane environment on all sides so it is natural for the consciousness to start dropping the second aspect then is how to retain that divine consciousness throughout the day so it is all a yeah. matter of repeated practice and this is one of the tools the other tool see all this relates to working upon the mind now you mentioned the book right in the beginning of the intellect yes that intellect is even more important if we can work on the intellect it makes mind management so much easier like for example anger is an infirmity of the mind mm-hmm. we don't wish to be angry and yet it happens but i ask people have you ever vented out your rage at your boss and they say swamiji no <laughs> i not because the intellect realized i'll lose my job so they control the anger and kept it within it is said anger always flows downwards towards you become angry on the subordinate who becomes angry on her subordinate who goes in home and becomes angry on the spouse who becomes angry on the child who becomes angry on the dog so why anger doesn't flow upwards is when the intellect realizes this is harmful for me it controls it mm-hmm. so that is where we can utilize our intellect to develop good values to develop good beliefs and this requires exposing ourselves to good knowledge to good wisdom when we read such good wisdom when we hear it that uh, helps illumine our intellect with the light of knowledge 
So in the book, I have talked about three stages of empowering the intellect. The first one is shravanam or hearing. And then after hearing, the second is mananam or contemplating on what we have heard. So whatever we have heard, those gems of wisdom, they must stay with us. Only then they are any use. Somebody said to me that Swamiji, this anger is such a big defect I have. Can you please tell me a solution from the Vedic knowledge? I said, look, anger hurts you more than the person you become angry upon. So why do you wish to hurt yourself? Don't become angry. If I gave you a pin and said, push it in, you'd say, why would I do that? So he said, oh, a light went on. Such a wonderful piece of knowledge. I just love that. I said, but it will be no use to you. Why? <laughs> because when the anger comes, the knowledge will slip out and you'll make the mistake. Then later on, you'll regret, what did I do? So, to keep the knowledge with yourself, you need to revise it in your mind. This in Sanskrit is called manan or contemplation. Mm. And then comes the third stage, which is nididhyasan. Nididhyasan means with your intellect, decide this is it, which creates the belief. Mm -hmm. And beliefs are so important. The Bible has put it so well. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Mm. We are thinking, we are directing our journey by sight. But factually, the person who has valued money above everything else, who has believed that happiness is in money, has dedicated his or her whole life to money. So we must create the best beliefs. And beliefs should not come from hearsay. They should stem from good knowledge that we hear, that yes. contemplate, and decide upon. Swamiji, I actually took notes on those three points. I'm staring at it right here on my paper because I thought that it was so important. It is how we learn and shift our thoughts and our beliefs by hearings, exposing ourselves to teachings and new thoughts, and then contemplating it and, and truly internalizing it as you talk and write about it and putting our faith in it and really starting to, to direct our minds in those new directions. And it takes some practice, I found, because we so easily could default and it's like, no, bring us back. So yeah, I appreciate you highlighting that because it's something I had written down to ask you about. Thank you so much, Lisa. I am sure you are full of your own realizations. Being a psychotherapist and having spent a lifetime in, in understanding the mind, managing it and mastering it for others, I would love to hear something from your experience or your your realization in your own journey that you'd love to share. Oh, I love that, Swamiji. As I hear you asking me that, I've seen my journey as a therapist change 
in the last 20 years that I've learned to trust so much more in my intuition and in spiritual knowledge to incorporate that into modern day psychology because I found in my own experience as a therapist and receiving therapy that it wasn't enough to just to just rehash even traumatic memories or painful experiences. I found that to be disempowering for myself and my clients. And that's how I turned to meditation and being open to other teachers and teachings, especially ancient wisdom that has been around for thousands of years. And just as you said in the beginning of the show, the way the Western world has really mastered technology and certain gifts that, that we enjoy today, that the ancient world and go, that going within is something that I find that our American culture lost. And I see us coming back to it in modern day times. And that's why we turn to teachers like you and have so much interest because without the inner work, without the inner reflection and connection, it's really just very um, surface, our life experience. And so I've started to incorporate that in my work with clients and offering them teachers like you. And because I just find it to be like the key to, to whole healing and health. And I appreciate you asking me that. And it, what do you think? Yes, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your own realizations. I think it is a very inspiring message there. For so many people who have spent their time and their energy in external pursuits, in finding success, in external accomplishments, and then finding that they are still hollow from inside, and all those luxuries, etc., they got did not bring them the inner happiness. And to make that inner connect, they need to learn another science the science of manifesting the divinity within. So thank you so much for sharing your, your experience and your realization. You're welcome, Swamiji. And my last question, though I feel like I could talk to you endlessly, is I know you're in Dallas, Texas, here in the U.S., at the JK Yoga facility that you founded. Can you share with our listeners about your process of yoga and, and all that it incorporates for us? Uh, okay, Lisa. I spent the first uh, 50 years of my life in India. Uh, first of all, I learned these from, at, the, at the feet of a master who taught me the theory, who guided my practice, and who trained me to help disseminate this knowledge for the benefit of others. And then for many, many years, I was traveling all over my native country, which is India, sharing this knowledge. And then my teacher, he wanted me to take this knowledge to the West. So in the year 2009, I started coming to USA until I spent more and more of my time here in this country. We established JK Yoga uh, to facilitate the spread of this knowledge and to provide people the opportunity to practice it. And over the years, we established a number of congregational centers, about 20 all over the country and centers for the yoga, <coughs> for the children and for yoga training classes, etc. So it started taking on global proportions. So that required making a headquarters 
which we established in Dallas, Texas, which is a very, very attractive temple called the Radha Krishna Temple of Dallas. And uh, it is such a pleasure to see it become the nucleus of a community through which we can make these offerings to enrich the lives of people, specifically about yoga. Mm. Though yoga has become so popular around the world and being a practitioner myself, I'm delighted to see the Western world embrace yoga. But nevertheless, it is a very, very superficial understanding of yoga so often where they see it as a way for reducing weight, or as a beauty aid, etc. Now, in the Indian tradition, the word yoga refers to union, the union of the individual consciousness with the divine, the universal consciousness. And that union requires the preparation of our personality at the physical level, the mental level, the intellectual level, and the spiritual level. So especially my teacher, he said, you know, people are enthusiastic about yoga, but I'd like you to teach them the true, the deeper yoga, which is also there. And I mean, it's not exclusive to JK Yoga. There are hundreds and thousands of teachers teaching this deep and true yoga. And we are doing it in our own humble way where we incorporate and we teach practices for all the facets of our personality. Swamiji, I just am so grateful to you for taking your time to be with us. Thank you. This has been such an honor for me. Thank you, Lisa. It was my pleasure to be here on your program and to be speaking to you. And my best wishes to all your wonderful listeners and viewers. Thank you, Swamiji. I look forward to meeting you and I'm just sending you all my love. Namaste. My best wishes to you. Bye-bye. That concludes my show today with Swami Mukundananda. I thank you for being with me today. If you're enjoying what you're seeing and hearing, please consider becoming my patron at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. It's a platform for podcasters and artists. We put up uh, a link for you to donate your money to help us keep doing what we love. And this is obviously what I love. Thank you for being with us today. I look forward to seeing you next week on another show. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.